Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I am your host, Michelle Berard, founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor, LLC, and I am very, very happy to share this hour with you, where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. Somewhere in the Middle is intended to be a safe place where we can learn and grow together. We discuss a variety of topics ranging from love to politics to money and business and beyond. And that's because the human experience is wide and varied. Now I want to give a shout out to my guest on the September 21st show, Dr. Marcia Demers. You can connect with Dr. Demers on social media and grab her books on Amazon and at other fine retailers. If you miss that show, make sure you listen to the replay. Dr. Demers shared about her challenges pursuing her advanced degrees and her personal experience with miscarriage and divorce. You can get to the replay by visiting Somewhere in the Middle at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y, slash Somewhere in the Middle Radio, and checking out the on-demand shows. You can find our complete show archives, including the September 21st, 2018 show, at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y, slash Somewhere in the Middle Podcast. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Genius Is Common Movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. It is so important that we share this message with the youth. But it's not just for the youth. All of us need to remember that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Genius Is Common Movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. Now, after the September 21st show, I told you guys we'd have Vanessa Turner as my guest. But we did have to shift the schedule a little bit. So Vanessa will be on the next show, October 26th. Make sure you guys tune in. Now, I'm really excited to introduce tonight's guest, Tana Session. Tana Session was born into the New York City foster care system and remained there until she was three and a half years old. She experienced various hardships throughout her life, but learned they were not her fault, but they were her problem. She set out to establish a life that was quantum leaps from where she started, and she's done that. She was recently recognized as Huffington Post's 10 female experts to follow in 2018. She's built a successful career in human resources and in business, despite her background. She continues to use her adversities as fuel and not excuses. In addition to previously owning her own business, Tana has served as a top human resources leader for multiple for-profit and non-profit organizations. 
Her experience has enabled her to embed her passion for the field of human resources and coaching in everything she develops and implements. In 2014, Tana established her award-winning WMBE certified coaching and consulting practice where she offers her expertise through speaking engagements, group and one-on-one coaching, and consulting. Noted as a powerful international speaker, Tana shares her poignant career and life coaching tips with audiences from a personal perspective. In November 2016, Tana released her first book entitled Inside the Revolving Door, Chronicles from the Human Resources Department. In January 2017, she released the number one bestseller, Get Your Career Life in Order, a step-by-step career management and job hunting self-help guidebook. Her third book, The Little Book of Motivation and Inspiration, Volume 1, was released in January of this year. Tana is a contributing writer for Forbes.com and BlackEnterprise.com and has been featured in Huffington Post, Essence Magazine, and on various television, syndicated radio, and podcast shows. In August 2017, the University of Phoenix recognized Tana as one of its distinguished alumni of Southern California. Tana also joined the team of UCLA Extension as an instructor for the Human Resources Development course, the final class in their top-rated 18-month Human Resources Certification program. In her free time, Tana likes to travel and spend time with family and friends. In June 2014, Tana and her family relocated from New York to Los Angeles, and she's enjoying getting to know her new home state. All right, so I would like to welcome... Tana Session to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. Thank you, Tana, for being on the show with me. Thank you so much, Michelle. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I am thrilled to have you partly because of all the things that you do now, but mainly because I think your journey is an interesting and a fascinating one for people to really hear. And so you may have heard that I start my interviews with two questions. And if you're ready, I'll go ahead and ask them. I'm ready. All right. So Tana Session, who are you and how did you become who you are today? Um, So I would have to say that I am a work in progress, but I've come a long way. And what I've learned to do is use my adversities as fuel and not excuses to propel my success, both in corporate America, uh, as a wife and mother, and as an entrepreneur as well. So how did you become this work in progress? Well, it's like Ayana says, I did the work. Um, So I had to really understand how different adversities of my past were impacting my decision making um, and in my career and in relationships and even in some ways parenting. Um, And I had to understand where those were coming from. So what were some of the triggers based on adversities I experienced in the past that was showing up in those different scenarios? And, and once I really started to look in the mirror and not point the finger, um, that's when I started my work. And so I say I'm a work in progress because although I understand what those things are now, um, you know, it's not to say other adversities may not show up in my life. I'm still living and breathing. Um, so as you go through life, different things may happen or occur that you don't have control over, or you may put yourself in a situation where you feel like I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> so my goal now is to be more aware and more intentional uh, with the things that I, that I do and, and the people 
an event that I allow into my life. Okay. So let me ask you then, um, if you don't mind sharing with us, give me some examples. You mentioned some of the triggers that were showing up in different scenarios. Can you give me a scenario and a trigger and maybe then how you've shifted that? Sure, definitely. Um, the first and foremost would be the fact that I was born into the foster care system of New York City. Uh, so my mom was a teenage mother. And as a result, um, you know, not prepared to take care of a child. And from the day I was born, I was um, assigned to a foster family. And I stayed with that family until I was about four years old. And then I was reunited with my, um, my pater maternal grandparents. But through the years, I always wondered why me? Because my mother had an older son. I have an older brother and I also have a younger brother. And they didn't go into foster care. They went to family members. So I always wondered why me? And as a result, whenever rejection or abandonment issues would show up, uh, I do what I, I did what I call showed out. So, mm. <laughs> so I reacted and, and not knowing again where that was coming from. And it was coming from the fact of, you know, this, I had a four-year-old that was running my life. This four-year-old little girl who got out of foster care realized that the people she was living with weren't her parents. Um, you know, everyone else in, in the family, everyone else in school had mommies and daddies. She didn't. Um, so, you know, at four, trying to, you know, conceptualize that and understand what that means, you can't. Um, but when you get older, when you're faced with different situations that resonate with that feeling of what that four-year-old felt, um, it pops up in different ways. So it popped up for me whenever I, 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 I tell people I was the worst person to break up with. So, <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I want to do is do damage. And, and, you know, that was a trigger for me. Oh, you're abandoning me. You're rejecting me, you know. Mm -hmm. Same thing in my career, you know, there were points when I felt I was entitled to a position or should have gotten a promotion. I would see people around me get it. And then I would say, well, I'll show you and I'll leave and go to another job and have to start all over again and then still hit a wall. And the wall I was hitting was because I didn't have a degree, but I wasn't willing to face that as a fact. I, I was instead pointing the finger at they don't see me. They don't recognize who I am or what I bring to the table. And, and I eventually did go back to school and get my degree so I could take that off the table. And that's when my career really soared. Wow. Okay, you know I'm going to ask you more detailed questions, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have to ask because um, you, you, it sounds like you, the way that you were triggered, let's say in a, a breakup situation, uh -huh. might have been along the lines of, kind of kind of wild and what I consider to be pretty wild and out there I remember many many years ago um my dad you know because he was divorced from my mom and he broke up with this one woman and she was slashing his tires <laughs> was it along the lines of that kind of stuff or was it just you know being angry and yelling uh no so I can relate to her <laughs> <laughs> I've done property damage and I'll leave it at that. Oh, <laughs> I've also been, uh, you know, considered a stalker. So, okay. so yeah, I, I, when I went, I went hard and deep. <laughs> wow. But, but you mentioned something very specific and this is what made me ask this question is you said that there was a four-year-old running your life. Yeah. And it was, it sounds like it's almost like in some ways you were stuck Right. In that period of time. Exactly. You nailed it. Exactly. 
So that begs the question to me, how did you start to, you know, number one, recognize it? What was the, what was the point at which you recognized it? You know, something was triggering you and you were being triggered in the same way. I mean, I don't know if that's what you were recognizing, but what, what made you realize? What was the, the, was there a certain episode that occurred that made you realize, wow, this is like a pattern or, or something like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so there reached a point where I'd grown my career from an admin assistant to the head of HR for different companies. And I would stay at these companies three, three and a half, maybe four years at the max. And then I would move on because I would be bored or not challenged or I would bump heads with, you know, the, the C-suite executives and just feel like, okay, this is not for me. I'm moving on. And it got to a point where it was, um, it was a repeat performance. And one day I woke up and I realized that I needed to do something different. I just didn't know what that was. And I told my husband, I said, I feel like I'm not going to retire from HR. And he's like, you're kidding me. He said, you went and got all these degrees and certifications and you've climbed this ladder and fought your way to the top. He's like, what do you want to do next? And I said, I don't know. I said, but I don't feel fulfilled and I don't know why. And so I aligned myself with a coach uh, to do some digging, to try and figure out, I originally went to her to say, I need to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing with my career. Where should I be going? Should I be working at another company? And she's in the coach coaching field of helping people heal. Okay. And she drew out some questions, some responses from me based on some questions she asked that A, had never been asked to me before, even though I've been in therapy before twice, two or three times in my life. And it made me really dig deep. And before I knew it, I was bawling out of control mm. and realizing that what she was asking me, what I was saying was the truth that I'd never spoken before. It was revealing layers of me that I never exposed before. And as a result, I was raw. I was completely raw. And I needed to do that before I could go out and do what it was I was supposed to be doing in this world. And as a result of that, um, that's when I decided that what I wanted to do was be able to do the exact same thing for, for other women. Um, wow. I'm the kind of person where you look on the outside and you look at my resume and my pedigree and you think I have it all together not knowing that I was a cracked egg on the inside. Mm-hmm. Wow. So as a coach, you needed a coach. He has four. I have three, so I'm on my way. <laughs> wow. Okay. So what, what, she, what she ask you? Well, the first thing I, she asked me, why did I want to leave the job I was at? And I said, you know, this woman, she's a senior VP, for whatever reason, she doesn't like me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm doing the job they hired me to do. She's creating these boundaries that I, you know, can't get past. And I said, I'm just done. I'm done. And she's like, you know, you're making a lot of money. This is what you went to school for. This is what you thought your career would be. And she said, I want you to tell me, what are you scared of? And I was like, scared of? I'm like, I'm not scared of anything. And she's like, no, you are. What are you scared of? And when I started thinking about it, I said, well, I guess I'm scared of failing. I don't want to fail. And she said, why? And I said, well, because I'm the only woman of color in this senior level position. A lot of people look up to me. She said, no, put that aside. She said, why don't you want to fail? And I said, I I, I couldn't really put a finger on it. And then she kept asking me additional questions. And then it got to the point where it was, well, I don't want to be rejected. And she said, well, when's the first time you felt rejected? And I was like, first time I felt rejected. So of course I go to breakups. And I said, Oh, well, my high school boyfriend, he broke up with me, broke my heart. And she said, nope, goes past that. 
And she's like, take me further back. And I was like, further back? Oh, gosh. Uh, when did I feel rejected? Oh, I don't know. I guess, you know, being in school, I was in accelerated classes. So a lot of times I was only one of maybe two or three Black kids in the class. And, you know, the other Black students didn't really care for me. And she said, nope, it goes further than that. And so we just kept going back and back and back to the point where she was like, tell me about your parents. And I was like, what do you want to know? And she's like, I feel a wall. And I was like, you feel a wall? What wall? And as we dug into that, it came up to be, I was feeling, I was fearful of rejection because of the rejection I felt when I found out that my mother voluntarily put me in foster care. And if it hadn't been for my grandparents getting me out, that I probably would have never got out. And then meeting her many years later when I was about nine years old and so excited that I was going to have a mom. All of a sudden I would have a mom and I was, I was going to be just like everyone else. And I remember running up to her and saying, mommy. And she stopped me and she said, you can call me Denise. And just what that felt like to that nine-year-old girl who had been waiting all this time to have a mother. And, you know, she's long gone now, but I never called her mom another day. Every day from that point on, I called her Denise. Wow. Mm-hmm. That must have been devastating. Extremely. But I had never dealt with it until in the last four years. Never dealt with it. Never even spoke of it. Wow. So do you mind my asking, what are the circumstances she just decided, no, I'm too young, I don't want to have this particular child, or... Yeah. So my older brother went to her godparents. He, they adopted him because they couldn't have children of their own. And this was in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather was a single parent because her mom had passed away. And, you know, she just kind of went, wow, she was the oldest child and, you know, didn't really have a lot of um, uh, guidance, you know, because my grandfather was working two jobs to take care of him, her and, and her siblings. And then my younger brother, um, his father and his father's mother took him. Um, again, because they knew that she wasn't prepared to be a mother and she wasn't. And, and, you know, to the end, she still wasn't prepared to be a mother quite obviously, but, um, you know, she did the best that she could with what she had in terms of skill set, but she just didn't have the skill set. No one taught her. Right. And that's why I think sometimes we forget that people are doing the best they can with what they've got most of the time. Yeah. And I had to realize over the years that she was stuck at 13 when her mother passed away. She never healed. She never um, really truly grieved. Like she never wanted to celebrate Mother's Day. I never really understood why until years later. Mm. Um, But I had to forgive her um, in the space of I'm dealing with a 13-year-old. You know, she was stuck too. And that's when our relationship changed for the better. When you you realized that she was stuck and so you could release your anger? Exactly. Yeah. Because I've been harvesting that, right? Especially as I got older and, you know, when I became a young adult. So um, when she, she did get diagnosed with cancer at a very early age, she passed away at 38. I was mm-hmm. 21. And, um, and so I got to spend time with her, um, you know, as she was going through her treatment. Because she, she was going through chemo for a while and then she opted out. And she, she and I got to talk. And I got to learn who she was. And I got to learn also who she wasn't. And I learned how to manage my expectations because my expectations were so, so, so high for her. And it was unfair because there was no way she was ever going to meet those expectations. And, and I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't really spent that time talking to her and getting to know her. That's amazing that you were able to get that time. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, 
go through life without having have had that time and that conversation and that healing and that forgiving with her. And did she, did she in that time kind of, I mean, this is me. I hope I'm not being out of the box a little bit, but did she ever ask your forgiveness for her role in? Yeah, she actually wrote me a letter, which I, I read every Mother's Day to this day. Um, and within that letter, she shares a lot with me and asks for forgiveness. Wow. So that's something that she's left with me that I can have forever. And, you know, it's written on some beautiful pink stationery, you know, because she was a big handwriter, beautiful handwriting. And, um, yeah, I read it every Mother's Day. Oh, that's beautiful and sad. Yeah, yeah it's a little of both, right? <laughs> I hope I'm not bringing your podcast down. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I think, well, I think it's amazing because, you know, I mean, my mom passed when I was pretty young, too. Um, she, she passed when she was 41. Wow, that's young. Yeah, yeah she died of complications from cancer. Mm -hmm. And I was at school when she, you know, and all I, so I didn't get that time. So I, I always kind of wondered, like, maybe I should have just set out and gone back home and, you know, yeah. set with her, you know, even though I know that's not what she would have wanted. Yeah. I'm going to say it's probably not what she would have wanted. Most certainly not. And, you know, you did exactly what you were supposed to do when you were supposed to do it. It's all in divine order. I believe that as well. I believe that as well. But it's it's interesting the the shifts that take place over the years, and this is a a major one. So, um, when you started on this journey, you said that was basically four years ago. You started going to this particular coach yeah. and working with her, and you were trying to work through career issues, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you kind of did though, because then you found your true calling. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, how, how did that come about? So I decided that I not only wanted to be able to help other women, you know, cross this journey, but I also wanted to be a guiding light in terms of people of color with career issues or trying to figure out their career path. And because of my background in HR, so I've been in HR for over 20 plus years. And as I said, I've, I've held every position from admin assistant up to the, the top HR executive. And I realized that people of color in particular were oftentimes disadvantaged from the interview process up to the hiring process and then all the way up to and including, uh, you know, getting promoted. And so I said, you know what, I want to be able to give them information that no one else probably will to help set themselves up for success, starting from the time they wake up and say, I want a new job or I want to get promoted. And so I wrote a book called Get Your Career Life in Order. And when I wrote that book, I did it as if someone was sitting across the desk from me because I would get people asking me, you know, questions here and there. And I'm like, you know what, let me just catalog all these questions and, and, and write a book. Mm -hmm. And so I, I did. And it starts off with, you know, the job hunting phase and how to beat algorithms with applicant tracking systems because I built those and I know what, you know, what companies do when they put, put them together. And then I did all the way up to now you got the job or the promotion. So what should you be focused on for the first 90 days to set yourself up for success and as a result of that, it created speaking opportunities where I started doing speaking engagements. And then I would start getting more and more clients um, who not only wanted me to help them with their career, or at least that's what they thought, much like myself. Mm -hmm. But once we started doing the work, I found out there were other issues here that we need to talk about because otherwise you're just going to get a new job. And just like I was doing, you're going to be a dog chasing his tail. 
Well, give me an example, if you don't mind, of some of the ways in which uh, people of color are behind the eight ball in the job search process. Um, so many. I mean, first and foremost, just understanding really um, keeping up with what people are looking for in your resume. Um, so some people just don't have resources or they don't seek out resources to ask the right questions about what, how should I present myself to the marketplace and understanding that that resume is your calling card um, and how important it is. You know, everything from making sure it's, it's formatted in the right way, that you're using the right keywords based on the job that you're looking for, as well as ensuring that you have no typos or other errors on it, because oftentimes people won't even look at your resume if, it, if they find a typo. Mm -hmm. um, because it's attention to detail. And they're like, oh, well, if you can't pay attention to this detail, how much detail are you going to pay attention when I hire you? <laughs> you know, so that's the mindset. You know, I've sat around these round tables and had these conversations with hiring managers and, and the C-suite in the past. Um, and then also just understanding how to really effectively and concisely answer questions during the interview process. You know, not come across as a robot, um, but being cognizant of the time you probably only have an hour and you may or may not have to meet other people that same day. And you want to be clear and concise, get your point across, um, but also be able to explain how you are the best fit for that job and that position or that promotion and what benefit you're going to bring to the organization. Because their job posting, I told you, when you think of it as a cry for help, and you have to know how am I going to answer that cry for help. Okay. And then going into a new position and you've interviewed you know, you've submitted your resumes you beat the algorithms right which which used to drive me nuts those things <laughs> you beat the algorithms you get your foot in the door you get the interview and then you get the job what kinds of things should folks be focused on that first 90 days definitely getting what i like to call your board of directors in order so knowing who are the key stakeholders that you need to have um relationships with. So start going to lunch or coffee with different people in the organization, you know, on your team, um, with teams that maybe you partner or collaborate with on different projects. Um, so understanding who those individuals are, setting up goals for those first 90 days. So very, you know, strategic, smart goals that you and your manager agree upon. So that way you know that you're working on the right things, that you're spending your time in the right areas. Um, making certain that you're checking in with your manager on a regular basis. Even if they don't do it, be proactive and do it for yourself because this is about managing your career. Um, and then also just ensuring that you understand who um, has the historical information about the organization. So not to gossip, but understanding different personalities, understanding um, the um, things that have worked in the past, what things they are hoping to see in the future, where's the company wanting to go. Um, so understanding those things will help you be more effective and efficient in your role and be able to add value that much faster. And that's what they're looking for. They're looking for a return on their investment. Well, and that corporate memory that you're referring to can mean other things as well. Like uh, I worked with a software company and there was one guy who had been there basically from the beginning. He was the unofficial corporate memory, and anything there was that you needed to ask about that software, that guy knew. Exactly. And he could answer those questions. So, so 
And not everything's documented in every company, right? Right. There's a lot, a lot of times they don't have knowledge transfer, you know, which is unfortunate or like a knowledge database. So it is inside someone's head. So yeah, understanding who those individuals are. I like to call them sometimes the corporate oracles mm. <laughs> and knowing like what information can you glean from them that is, again, is going to help you benefit, help benefit you in your role, your new position, your new promotion and help you add value that much faster and look for the low hanging fruit. You know, what are the simple things that take minimal effort, minimal resources, where you can have an impact where people are like, oh, we did hire the right person or we did promote the right person. So what kinds of questions do you find that people ask you most often when they come to you for, let's say, career coaching? They mostly want to know um, how tough is the job market really for someone who's not a millennial, because everyone's under the impression that companies only want to hire millennials. And yes, there's ageism. Uh, I absolutely have seen it, heard it, been a part of it. But there are also companies that can appreciate more seasoned professionals because they know that there's more stability and loyalty there. Now, organizations have changed where, you know, you don't have a job for life and you can't bank on pensions anymore, you know, the way you used to depend on, you know, what your industry is or your, you know, unless you work for the government or, you know, city government, et cetera. But just helping them understand what value they bring to the job market um, once they're outside of that quote unquote millennial age group. And that's where a lot of my clients are. They're usually between the ages of 35 to 55. Um, and they've been in some sort of transition, either voluntarily or involuntarily. Some people's companies move out of state. They don't want to relocate. So now they're on the job market or the company's downsize and they've gotten rid of positions where the skill set is not going to take them into their next five, 10 year plan. Um, so different impact, you know, different things have impacted these decisions um, where they're now in the job market, perhaps for the first time in quite some time. And mm -hmm. that's really the fear factor, you know, like how am I going to compete against these younger people? Well, yeah. And that's really, I've even heard, and maybe you can tell me if this is true. I've even heard that, that insurance companies, have been advising companies not to hire older workers? <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> Although I, I can understand the reasoning behind it if they are, um, because it does impact the premiums. Because the older employees are the ones that are going to be going to the doctors more. They're nine times out of 10 going to be on some sort of medication, have pre-existing conditions. Um, all of those things are going to impact the bottom line. Health insurance companies are trying to cut their costs because of the Affordable Care Act and how it's impacted them. It was great for the patients, not so great for the insurance companies. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, the younger employees, nine times out of 10, they aren't going to the doctor unless something catastrophic happens. You can barely get them to go to the dentist. And I know because I have a 23-year-old. <laughs> I have to force him to go get his eyes checked every other year, et cetera. So they're not having that much of an impact on the premium and what they call the experience, the premium experience um, year over year. So when they do the math and they look at the analytics, then yeah, they're going to come back and they're going to sit down and have a, a benefits renewal conversation with, you know, the HR team and maybe the C-suite executive or the CFO. And they probably will say something somewhat sly and, you know, subtle, but I think the information that they share when they're looking at the dollars and cents, they're going to make their own conclusion and say, Oh, so we need to hire people that are under 30. <laughs> wow. Because well, but, but, to the <laughs> but then, but then that, that makes it more of a challenge for, 
a lot of the folks that you're working with. So what kinds of um, tips do you have specifically for people in that, let's say, 35 to 55 age range if they're looking to change careers for whatever reason? Mm-hmm. I tell them the main and primary thing to do is to network because that's the hidden job market. And especially with the years of experience that they have, that's where their peers and their colleagues and their stakeholders are. They're in their network. Um, they're not on a job board. And, you know, especially depending on the level, when you start getting into manager, director, executive director, SVP, VP, et cetera, those jobs, yes, they may be posted, but they're not looking to hire you from applying online. They want you to come in, do a referral. So mm-hmm. using your network is key. And also staying abreast of trends in your industry. So attending industry conferences, um, local chapter meetings, um, you know, being abreast of what's being published. So reading white papers and subscribing to magazines online or hard copy um, just to be aware. So, you know, the lingo, you know, how the industry is changing, you know, what companies are looking for, you know, what skill sets you need to improve upon because maybe they're a little dusty or maybe you don't even have that particular skill set, but you can go to a community college or you can go to get a certification in that particular skill set. So that way you can take that off as a demerit that companies can say, oh, well, we're going to bypass him or her because they don't know, you know, they're they're not PMP certified. They don't have a project management professional certification. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you go out and get one, that's one less thing for them to nix you off the list for. Gotcha. And then keep your wardrobe and and your personal style trendy and, you know, relevant is important too. So that's something that they look at as well. When you're going for an interview, you're being judged externally first. You know, within seven seconds, they're already having a first impression of who you are. So what do you mean by, by <laughs> what do you mean by trendy? So I tell my clients, especially when they're in that age group, to send me pictures of what they would wear for an interview. And okay. sometimes these are things that they, they haven't invested in in quite some time, again, because they've been at the same company for so long. So they are dust off a, a suit that may have worked within the company they were at for 20 years. But when they bring it outside of that company, it's age. It shows your age. It shows that you're not really, um, you know, youthful or even trying to be youthful. So since first impressions are so important, it's important that you invest in some signature pieces that are trendy, but not so much where you can't wear them year over year. You can add something trendy, like a nice blazer or, you know, a pop of color or something like that. So I advise people on different things like that just to help them be able to um, come across professional as themselves, but also youthful, energetic, in for the long haul, not looking to retire in five years, even if they are. We don't want to come across that way, right? So that's what I mean. And I talk about that in my book as well. I have a chapter in there dedicated just to people who are 50 and over um, in the job market. And I talk about, you know, when's the last time you had a fresh haircut or a fresh new hairstyle, you know, or updated your wardrobe. So those things are important. Okay. All right. Lots and lots of good information. (laughs) So Tana, tell us where can we find your books? Sure. So on my website, is Tana M Session, that's T-A-N-A-M-S-E-S-S-I-O-N.com. So I have all my books available on my website. I have three out right now. Um, they can also find them on Amazon. Uh, they can find Get Your Career Life uh, in order as well on Barnes & Noble. And, um, yeah, if they get it through my website, then I get to autograph it and send it to you personally. So I prefer you get it through my website. <laughs> awesome. Yes, definitely. And do you have any live events coming up anytime soon? Where can we connect with you? 
Yes, thanks for asking. Um, so next weekend, October 7th, I'll be speaking in Chicago. It's for the Boss Network's Ladies That, Ladies that Leads Tour. Uh, they're honoring Sally Richardson at that event, So and Erica Pittman. So I'll be there speaking on a panel. And then on October 20th, I will be in Portland, Oregon, speaking at the Superwoman Summit. Um, it's an annual event they have every year. So I was selected as a keynote for that day on the 20th. So I'm excited about that. And then I have some other things. So I, I try to make sure on my social media, I keep all my events up there so people can always know where to find me. Okay, very cool. And what are your social media handles? Uh, at Tana M. Session across all Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can find me under at Tana M. Session. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tana, for being on the show with me. It's been amazing and fascinating. And you guys, make sure that you go and look Tana up, get her books. We need to all get ourselves together in terms of our careers, make sure that we are making the right moves and freshening up our wardrobes. <laughs> Not so fresh that we're inappropriate at 50-something, but <laughs> we want to we freshen it up and look fabulous and be fabulous. Thank you so much for being on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Burrard. Thank you, Michelle. Appreciate it. We're going to take a quick break for an announcement, and then we'll be back with Julia Black and our new segment, True Talk. Hey, everybody. It's me, Michelle Burrard, host of Somewhere in the Middle and founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor, LLC. And I'm Julia Black, energy healer, empathic life coach, and founder of Sacred Ash Healing. Are you feeling like you're stuck and can't move forward? Have you been struggling to birth a big goal like a book or a business? Are you feeling overwhelmed and looking to make changes in your career? If you're at all like us, when that deer and headlights feeling hits you, you just don't know where to begin. Talking to friends and family can help, but when you're in need of an objective opinion, it helps to speak with someone who is prepared to listen and to provide practical guidance to help you move forward. That's where a coach comes in. That's why Julia and I are excited to share a way we can help you get unstuck and start moving towards your goals again. And to make it easy for you, we're offering a complimentary call with one of us to help you start moving forward. All you have to do is go to WeRiseMovement.com to schedule your free insight and inspiration call with either Michelle or me. The insight and inspiration call can help you get clear about your goals, uncover hidden challenges that may be hindering your progress, discover steps you can take today to move toward accomplishing your goals, and you will leave the session feeling renewed, re-energized, and inspired to take action. All you have to do is visit www.weriseMovement.com and schedule your free insight and inspiration call today. That's WeRiseMovement.com. There's a saying that goes, nothing will move in your life until you do. Get moving by booking your free insight and inspiration call at www.WeRiseMovement.com. Hey folks, John Kane here with Exponential Cashflow. If you've ever had a money challenge in your life, meaning lack of money, then I think my company can help. We teach average hardworking folks how to successfully invest in the financial markets. You don't need a lot of money, which a lot of people think opposite. And we teach folks from teenagers up to senior citizens, so anyone can learn. If you're interested in learning more, then all you got to do is go to exponentialcashflow.com 
and give us a little information about yourself and in return we're going to send you a free ebook on how the professionals do it plus we're also going to give you a free personalized investment strategy session and if you happen to own a business we'll give you a free business growth strategy session as well so go to exponentialcashflow.com alright and we are back with True Talk our new segment with Julia Black Julia thank you for coming on the show Hi, thanks for having me. Well, we were having a discussion the other day, and we were talking about how you can get stuck sometimes, you know, kind of emotionally stuck at a particular point in your life. And you may not even realize that it's happened exactly. And it could be where you're getting stuck in a good place or a bad place. And the example that, that I used when we were talking was, um, and I don't know if anybody else remembers this show, but <laughs> I used to watch a show called Married with Children. And the, the dad character, Al Bundy, always talked about when he was a high school football star and he would just grin and tell his story about that last game or whatever. And he was stuck. He was stuck there. That was like the height of his success in his life, in his mind, and that's where he was stuck. And so we were kind of talking about different situations and how people get stuck and how they get out of that. What do you think are some reasons that people get stuck? Um, I think there are a lot of reasons. I think one of them, like you said, is with, with Al Bundy, um, they get stuck and they think that, you know, everything was good at this one particular moment in time. And so they keep reliving it and don't, um, try to see how they've, uh, grown since whatever that point in time was. Um, I think that's one reason. I think another reason is that, they're still trying to work through whatever issues there are. For example, I have a, I have a, an acquaintance that I knew a long time ago, um, and he had a breakup when he was 19, a really traumatic breakup when he was 19, and I met him, I think, when he was 25. Um, I knew him for about 10 years before we kind of lost touch, and in that 10 years, he only dated people that were exactly like the woman that had completely broken his heart, and it was like he kept trying to relive it and work through it um, with every with every woman that he dated, um, so I think it could be something like that, where your soul is just trying to work through whatever the issues were. Um, I think it could be something like you don't even realize it's happening, um, you know, you can have you know, something happened and you go to, th you know, something traumatic like a divorce or, you know, a death in the family or whatever, and, and you work through it and you go to therapy and you kind of work, you, you feel like you're working through everything and then you have these kind of residual issues that you don't realize are a direct result of whatever that event was. Well, and some of the most insidious, I think, and I, I use that word intentionally, is when it's things that happened to us when we were really, really young. Mm -hmm. And we may not even remember the actual event that triggered the, the feeling, the emotion. We may, we may not even recognize it. Mm -hmm. And so 
you could essentially have, you know, a kid running some aspect of your life mm-hmm. and not realizing that you're stuck at six or eight or 10 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're making decisions based on the emotions and mentality of that six-year-old or eight-year-old or 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. No, I think, I think that's absolutely the case. And for me that, that, you know, I think I've, I, uh, I've mentioned before that I was kind of that kid that was bullied and stuff in school and had spent quite a bit of time in therapy, spent a good, you know, spent years in therapy working through it. And it, I felt like it wasn't affecting me anymore. I'd kind of, you know, resolved all the issues and it wasn't part of my, you know, I didn't feel like victimized anymore. And I, you know, there were a lot of things in my life that had changed because I had dealt with all of that. And then realized recently that there were very specific aspects of my life that were still being, um, that I was still doing because I was, still kind of stuck there and one of them for example was being invisible I had this need I had this overwhelming need to be invisible in all cases um because if I'm invisible then no one's going to bully me um and so it's required quite a bit of you know kind of personal growth and journaling and my own uh process to start working through that and some of that includes things like this doing doing podcasts and (laughs) having my picture out on a website and doing blog posts there's a lot of things that I'm kind of as I'm doing all of these things and working through those issues um but yeah I think it's you know it's it's definitely something that that you don't even realize is is affecting you in your current life Well, and you know, it's funny, you mentioned that, you know, kind of fear of being seen. That's a huge issue for, I think, women in particular, Mm -hmm. personally, um, because I think that we're often uh, expected to sit and and be quiet and, and, you know, be seen and not heard kind of. Mm -hmm. And so it may manifest in different ways in terms of more of a fear of being heard or Mm -hmm. a a fear of being perceived a certain way. Mm -hmm. But also that generally we also are taught not to talk about ourselves or brag about ourselves, particularly for women. Mm -hmm. And for entrepreneurs, you know, you're trying to start a business. uh, You got to talk about what you do. You got to talk about who you are. You've got, you know, you've got those things you've got to deal with. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you can't grow your business. So these can be really Um, these can really hamper your ability to grow professionally and, and, and grow your business if you're in those areas as well. Yeah, no. And that's something that I've had to kind of work through is that I, you know, I went from being, you know, I was, I was a technical writer and editor for a very long time. And so I went from being in a job where I essentially sat at my desk and didn't talk to anybody all day um, unless I, you know, unless somebody needed something to having to kind of promote myself, go out and, you know, go out and while I'm at, you know, shops or whatever, kind of introducing myself, hi, I'm a life coach, you know, I'm looking for a workshop space. Here's what I do. Is there a way that, you know, that, that you can help me? Um, and that's, you know, and I, and I'm, that's hard to do when you're not used to it. It just is. Um, particularly when you're in a position where your, your, your current business is so different than what it was before. 
Well, and that's not just a matter of self-confidence. That's the thing that I think it's really easy for people to get kind of hung up on the concept of, yo, you just need more self-confidence. When in reality, there's more to it than that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more of a working through the negative perceptions that yes. have developed as a result of whatever happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. And I have, you know, one of, one of my things is that I have this fear of being judged. Um, and then once I'm judged and there's teasing or whatever else that goes along with it. So that's something that I have been working on regularly for quite a long time. Um, and it all just kind of stems from that thing from that, experience that I had as a kid and even though like I said even though it doesn't bug me it's still kind of the residual effects of it Um, but part of it too when you're talking about being an entrepreneur and having your own business I think part of it too is being in the habit of talking about yourself there's a lot of times when I'm out and I have an opportunity and it doesn't occur to me to even say anything um and it's, and, you know, and this kind of goes back to, I think, the, the way that we're socially conditioned, because we should kind of stand in the background and be quiet and be meek and, and you know, not kind of be in the limelight um, or push ourselves forward or whatever, so, whatever social conditioning was um, used with you, um, but getting in the habit of it where it's like, oh, yeah. I should have said something. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I should have my business cards on me. Oh, yeah. I needed, to, you know, these are things that I need to do. I need to be consistently marketing myself um, and trying to trying to kind of move my business forward. Well, what do you think are some ways that we can work through that getting stuck, that that being caught in that? trauma or that agitation or that joy or that, <laughs> that whatever it is that's holding us in a in a particular place I think uh, the main thing is to pay attention to the patterns in your life right so for Al Bundy every time things got particularly frustrating at home that's when he went back to his high school days so um, you know for him that was the pattern um, with my friend that I had met and he kept dating the same essentially the same woman in different form or who he deemed was the same woman. He needed to pinpoint, Oh yeah, I'm dating. I'm essentially trying to work through these issues that I had with that first girlfriend. I should work through what those issues are. Um, and just kind of pay attention to the patterns and then start to journal about them or try and work through them. Um, in any way that you think is going to be helpful, whether that's by yourself with a journal or with a life coach or with a therapist or with, you know, a, you know, a pastor or some kind of spiritual advisor that can, that can help walk you through the process. I think that's the first step. Um, the first and second steps actually, and then realize that this is a process that is not necessarily going to be easy and is not necessarily going to be quick. Um, some of these issues that I've been working through, I've been working through for years and I, and every time I notice something, then I, then I sit and I have my own process. Um, and I kind of reflect on how I can push through the process. Um, you know, and kind of move myself forward. Um, but it requires quite a bit of 
just diligence and continuing to um, be good to yourself and just kind of be committed to working, working through everything. Well, and I would, I would also add, cause you know, for me, one of the things that's really made a difference in recent years, what has been actually starting to meditate mm. because I have the kind of mind that, <laughs> that will go a little wonky mm-hmm. and um, I need to, I need to really settle my mind to really see things clearly. Yeah. I know for some people meditation, they're like, Oh, I can't do that. But it's not even that. I mean, let's just, I, you know, if you, I grew up Catholic, prayer is a form of meditation. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's not like some big mysterious thing. There are different ways that people meditate and, Mm -hmm. and calm their minds and really can kind of get some clarity. And one of them is to sit down and, you know, um, but another could be just walking in nature and Mm -hmm. just kind of be making sure you're feeling present and really putting yourself in, in that space, in that moment, as opposed to constantly thinking about whatever happened in the past, whether that or otherwise. Yeah. And I think that's really helped me too. I mean, for me, particularly because I, because, because my experiences as a kind of writer and editor, I'm sitting at a desk all day. Um, when I'm not sitting at my desk, I don't want to be sitting. And so the way that I actually started meditating was by walking a labyrinth. Um, and there's a whole kind of process. It's not, it's not like a corn maze. You're not going to get lost. There's only one way in and one way out. And while you walk the labyrinth, you just kind of focus on the journey and it helps to quiet the mind. It gives you something to focus on so that you don't, so that your mind doesn't kind of obsess or spin out of control or, you know, whatever happens, however your brain works, but it gets you focused on one thing to kind of help train your brain not to um not to obsess about things well guys you heard it here (laughs) stop obsessing about stuff stop thinking about the past no i know that's easier said than done there are processes there are techniques there are things that we can do to get ourselves out of this unstuck place and we all have them there's no shame in that you know recognizing that we we all have them and sometimes they're subtle we don't always notice them but if we stay mindful and we really pay attention like julia said to the patterns we can shift things and then those will lead to major major shifts in our lives so julia thank you for being on somewhere in the middle true talk and you guys thank you for listening well that's our show this week guys You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or michelleberard.com, M-I-C-H-E-L-E-B-A-R-A-R-D.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send over some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Now make sure you guys tune into the show on October 26th when my guest will be educator, Vanessa Turner. 
You can find us every other Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash somewhere in the middle radio. You can also find us at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash somewhere in the middle podcast. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.